0: This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock
1: Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about Just like Mike
0: on Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Heward, not exactly Joe Cap there in the pocket. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> All right, yes, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710SeattleSports.com and the Seattle Sports app, of course, as well. It's a Friday. Looking forward to hearing from you guys. We'll do a little open phone lines later in the show. I do love that. And good chance to hear from people seem a little grumpy today in the text line. I don't know what's going on. It was beautiful out yesterday. It's going to be nice today. It's a Friday. Weekend's coming up. Like, let's let's chill with the grumpiness today.
1: People are upset we're going
0: to spring training. They're not this week. I so, get that. I mean, I, That's fair. You know, yeah, just... you, you know what? Be mad. That's okay. My life's better than yours today. <laughs> it is like I'm going to spring training. I like I, that not because I'm better than you, yeah. but because I have the world's greatest job perk. Mm-hmm. I get to go to spring training every year, and so do you, Justin. So do you, Mora. So does it Brock. Is, truly.
1: And you and you were saying you're like book it. You're right. Like I waited until I was 20 like seven or something did finally go
0: it's awesome and i was like what have i been doing i wanted to go here since i was seven years old well and especially you know getting to go to peoria where you can see a Chili's yeah, I and know, of TGI an Fridays Gardens, and F. a chang's. pizza hut and an olive garden a pf changs yeah. i mean it's really the sort of creme de la creme so if you get the opportunity the top, to, right. to really go through uh plus you get in and out and you got mcdonald's and you got jack in the box and of course you got Culver. So that's uh, that's a pretty big reason for excitement. <laughs> Might go there for dinner tonight. We'll see how it goes. All right. Uh, as I said, I was looking at over the cap last night because listening to the interview that uh, Wyman and Bob did, yes, a great interview, of course, with John Schneider. They do that now uh, every Thursday, kind of leading up to the draft. So you get a couple more months of that, which is awesome. And they do a fantastic job with the interview. And, you know, they're sort of talking through the cap. And when, you know, do they need to be under the cap, this and that. And it dawned on me. The Seahawks are over the cap. Like what did, did we watch the same? Like we watched this team last year, right? Did that look like a team that had been built with so much star power that they were somehow over the cap and were going to need to make moves in order to get themselves back in line before this season began. How is a mediocre team that hardly ever dabbles in free agency and is barely paying its quarterback big money. How is that team over the cap? So I started looking.
1: Safeties and
2: receivers? Yeah, yeah that's exactly <laughs> the on the right. Yeah.
0: And I, I know that I'm not like reinventing the wheel here. Yes, I understand that like a lot of people are going, shut up, Mike. No kidding. Duh, it's very obvious. But when you look at it, and I know Jamal can restructure, get cut. Where, like this is before Jamal, whatever is going to happen to Will Disley, Tyler Lockett, whether it's a restructure or a cut or a pay cut or whatever, all those things can, can help them. But yeah, it boggles the mind. Three of their top eight cap numbers were safeties. Most teams only have two safeties. They had three of their top eight. Julian Love was number eight. Jamal was number one. What? And Quandre was in the middle there, four or five, something like that. Three of the top eight cap figures on the Seahawks were safeties. Say that out loud. Y- y- you won't believe it. In a league that generally, look, I always said I like safeties, I like them more, I thought, than the average person. I think you got to have one good safety to make your team go. But three in the top eight of your cap? That's madness. Two of them are wide receivers, DK and Lockett. And you know how I feel about wide receivers. Probably a little differently than a lot of the rest of the world. So we're at five. One is a tight end who doesn't catch many passes and honestly didn't play much more than the other two tight ends. That's Will Disley. And I like, again, I like also Will Disley.
1: not the blocker he used to be.
0: Right. And I like a good player. Like, I like the idea of committing to your running game with a blocking tight end. But A, as Moore just said, he didn't do that as well as he used to. And B, he's splitting playing time at tight end with two other guys who got just as many snaps as him. So, I, so six of the eight play pretty far away from the ball. Yeah, and the other two are Gino and Dre Jones. Okay. And those are, oddly, the two players we wondered about most of this offseason, if they might get cut before, the, before their contracts were guaranteed. They didn't. Both guys are still here. But if you want to know the problems with the Seahawks, yeah, coaching staff needed to get changed out, of course. But that is a messed up way of building your roster. It just is. Now, some of it's out of necessity. There's, there's other sizes. If John were here, he'd say, shut up, Mike. Like, it's shut up. Obviously, we're doing that because, you know, you got a, a, a tackle, left tackle who's on a rookie deal and this guy's on a rookie deal. And this guy. So he'd, he'd have a lot of different explanations for why the money is spent that way. And a lot of it, I'm sure, is totally accurate. There's always two ways to look at this. John's a smart guy. Matt Thomas, right, is their cap guy. And he's a smart dude as well. So I'm, I'm not I'm not like taking them to task and saying they don't know what they're doing. But if you want a right side. The Seahawks roster, you probably don't want three safeties and two wide receivers in your top eight in terms of cap. That's a that just feels like a the wrong way to build a roster for a team and for coaches that say physicality and running the ball is what there's, you know, so important to them. Where are the offensive linemen? Dre Jones, the only defensive lineman. You might end up having to let Leonard Williams walk because you have signed three safeties in the top eight of your cap. In what world would you rather have Julian Love than Leonard Williams? I like Julian Love, not a shot at him. In what world would you rather have him at the safe as a safety over Leonard Williams? In what world would you rather have Jamal Adams still over Leonard Williams? This, no chance. Is this where
1: you start to wonder just how much influence Pete Carroll had? Because he is the secondary guy. And that is what they thought their strength was going to be this year.
0: I don't know. I I, I just I honestly and I mean that. I just don't know. I don't know how much Pete is responsible for that. I don't know how much John is responsible. I don't know whether things deteriorated in their communication at the end, and that's why they ended up in that. I, I honestly don't have a freaking clue. I don't know. Maybe they were ordered to do it from Jody Allen. Don't know. Never talked to her. Impossible for me to say how all of that went down. But I I do know that that's not the way to build a a championship if, team. If if let's pretend for in an alternate universe that Jamal didn't
1: have the the serious downturn that he's had, and he was just playing out of his mind, he's a Pro Bowler, he's an
0: All Pro. Yeah, Would if that feel had happened, as, as tough about this, Well, it wouldn't as we be the do. case. If that had happened, then you wouldn't have also signed Julian Love to that kind of contract, all right? Right? I mean, like it, it, You had to it, make up for some of these. Yeah and, people, and, yeah, and you also had to make up for the two first-round picks you, you gave up for Jamal yeah. as well. I totally. mean, you know, why are they in a mess? Because the Jamal Adams trade is one of the worst trades ever made. I liked it at the time. It's one of the worst trades ever made. It really is. Two first-round picks for a guy that had a bunch of sacks for one year and has done bubka since. And it's it's too bad because he's talented. He's incredibly interesting. He was supposed to bring him some edge in the locker room and on the field. And unfortunately, he hasn't done it. It's a terrible trade. What, what did you just show me? Oh, uh who was it that you guys emailed me yesterday did, like, a one move each NFC West team needed to make this yeah, offseason? I, yeah. Was it SI? And it said the, the biggest thing the Seahawks need to do is cut Jamal Adams because one of the ten worst trades in NFL history. Yeah. Think about that. That's a, that, that. That trade is probably part of the reason that the rest of this is a mess. Because then you had to sign Julian Love, and then you had to do some of the other – you don't have you know a couple of first-round picks who might be helping elsewhere on the roster, and so maybe you're overpaying for that. But the, the idea that this team, based on kind of where it's at, is somehow like over the cap or up against it right now – is disturbing. And I know it's all fungible. You can change it all around. And, you know, with a couple of moves with Jamal and Disley and Lockett, who knows what else they end up doing. They just saved $5 million yesterday, right? By by moving Gino's money around. There's always ways to kind of fix and get yourself out of this. But you gotta right side this lineup. You're right side this this roster. And you know, that's why I've been talking for the last week and a half about DK Metcalf. Not because he's not a good player, he is but because I think their roster needs to be altered so that, the, so that the investment is in the crucial spots rather than its safety, wide receiver, and a tight end that's not really helping you all that much. So that's their task. They got a lot to do. And I'm really curious to see how this offseason goes now that it is underway. All right, uh, we'll give you everything you need to know. Daniel Jeremiah can help us out with a lot of this and what you can do to make things better in this year's draft. That's coming up in 20. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 need to know.
2: 15 minutes past every
0: hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Seahawks uh, making some changes to Geno Smith's contract that came out yesterday is. Field Yates reported that they had converted a $9.5 million roster bonus into a signing bonus that essentially doesn't affect the guaranteed money, but does alter the cap hit. And so essentially, instead of all of that being next, this upcoming year, it gets spread over the next two evenly. So it saves them $4.8 million this year, but then that money gets added uh, to the following season. So... What does it all mean John Schneider on yesterday with Wyman and Bob? It's actually part of the negotiation when, when we do these deals and it's just a it's a trigger that's in there. It's a roster bonus that's converted to signing bonus. So a roster bonus is just a cap uh, like for cap purposes. You could take a roster bonus we can and there's language in the contract we convert it to a signing bonus and then it's spread out over the duration of the contract. So that creates more capital for us. You know, we can you know we did this, you know, big you know negotiation to convert roster bonus to signing bonus you know matt thomas does a really nice job of working that in as an option for us throughout the process so that at any given time if we feel the need we can move that into signing bonus and and, and create more capital everybody get that everybody uh, understand it are we all on the same page the real question is what does it tell us right does it make gino more likely to be here this year well At this point, I think he's fairly likely to be here, right? They're not going to cut him. And if they were to trade him, they would now have to eat a lot more of that cap hit if he were to get dealt. But the only thing is, if he does get traded he's worth a lot more to the team that acquires him because they wouldn't have to pay a whole lot of money i think it's like 12 million dollars or something is all they would need to pay to have a pretty good starting quarterback so maybe you get something like a second round pick or first round pick who knows probably a second rounder for geno smith instead of being worth a whole lot less than that so do i think he's going to get traded probably not but it does at least raise the specter of them trying to go out and acquire something else. But as we said, they are in a bit of a salary cap issue at the moment. So, who the heck knows what direction they decide to go? As for that draft, they got a lot of options. Quarterback, certainly one of them. We're going to talk more with Daniel Jeremiah coming up here in about ten fifteen minutes. But Chad Reuter on yesterday said Michael Penix. There's more and more questions coming out early in the year.
1: Nobody breathed on this guy, and when you don't, when you don't get to him. He's clearly an accurate quarterback. When he was just able to sit in that pocket and throw to some very talented receivers, he was dangerous. And in the second half of the year, teams got him off the spot a little bit. Uh, he had to make some plays on the run, and it, you know, he made some. And then it's just in Michigan, he a team finally put some pressure on him. And given the injury history, history he has, you know, when a guy plays with a brace on his leg, full-time,
0: that's tough to ignore. Yeah, he played one game in the National Championship against one of the great defenses ever, so let's say he can't play under pressure. It feels like a bit of an overstatement to me, but we'll see what direction this goes. He also said in that interview he could go anywhere from the first round to the fourth, so I think the medicals that come out at the Combine will be awfully important to Michael Penix's future. Here's the second thing you need to know. Pretty quiet day at spring training yesterday for the Mariners. couple hitters taking some live at-bats against starting pitchers, which was cool. Uh, I really do love this Ty France story, and I've said a couple of times, what did I say? He was my number two Mariner that I was looking forward to seeing when I get down there, because I want to know if this is real. If Ty France is good again, it completely changes the entire complexion of this lineup and should totally change the way we view this Mariner team. So Ty France being really good again – He's an enormous enormous potential uh, spot for the Mariners to improve and as he said driveline helped him quite a bit if you do it right you should I mean hit the ball hard I and mean, that was one of the big things we worked on was not only just the sequencing stuff but um, you know the adding uh, bat speed um, I added probably close to three and a half miles an hour bat speed throughout the throughout the offseason so um, that was another important thing that we wanted to, to do and um most of it was just by cleaning up my mechanics. I was able to add more bat speed. So, um, you know, if, if everything is done correctly, the swing swing is done properly. My, my barrel's in the, uh, the zone a lot longer, and, you know, it, should, it just gives me more room for air. Yeah, I mean, think about what three and a half mile an hour means. It's not just the exit velocity of the ball coming off his bat. It's how long you can afford to wait before swinging at the pitch, and obviously, in you know, dealing with what pitcher hitters deal with these days, those whatever split second you can add to make a decision should help Ty France. The other thing that would help him is stop swinging at all of the inside pitches that he can't do much with, but. Those two things combined, if you can get Ty France back to being Ty France, enormous, enormous benefit for him and for this Mariner team. Also going to be watching third base. You heard uh, John Morosi yesterday say that is still the weakest spot in this lineup. I agree with him. And, yeah, you're going to be watching Gino Suarez to see what he does. You're going to be watching potentially Matt Chapman if he signs somewhere else. And I'm also going to be watching Gio Urshela, who signed for a million and a half yesterday in Detroit. Is he a great player? No, but could that have been a useful signing for the Mariners? You know, this is just one of those things they could have done that you get an opportunity to watch and maybe see whether or not they made the right call. Here's the third thing. You need to, to know.
2: For Ronek, right on it. McCann.
1: Here it is, just wide. In first Everly, Bulls!
0: Yeah, that was the empty netter to finish it all off. The call, of course, from John Forslund on Root Sports last night. A couple of goals from Eberle. That was the second. One from McCann, one from Dunn, one from Justin Schultz. A nice night for Philip Grubauer as they beat a very good Canucks team that has been on fire. So a really nice win. Probably, I mean, along with the, the win in Boston uh, last week, those are probably their two best. They've got the uh, Bruins again coming up. On Monday and what a night for the Cougs 2.7 seconds to go Arizona down by three no time out here we
1: go last chance trying to stay perfect on their home court here's Boswell running out of time love gets it off off the front of the rim and the Cougars hold on the biggest win of Kyle Smith's head coaching career at Washington State and they end the streak Arizona no longer perfect at home
0: all right. How about that? Cougs get a win. They knock off number four, Arizona, and do it in Tucson. That's pretty awesome. darn impressive. Biggest win for the program in years. Should uh, continue to move them up. They were ranked 21st coming in, so might get them into the top 20, which would be pretty cool. All right. There you go. That's everything you need to know Uh quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk show. All right. We got a million guests today. We got a lot of people to talk to. Um, let's see. Shannon's going to join us in a little over half hour at eight o'clock. G. Scott's already in the building, and he's squawking about something he wants to talk about, so that'll be at 8.30. You can't hear him squawking? (laughs) Yeah, he's out there squawking. I haven't watched the video that he sent us yet either. Uh, Don't. I don't recommend it. And then um, let's see, who else today? Oh, yeah, Stacy at 9 o'clock, and then you, all of you guys at 9.30. You will be our guest at 9.30 with some open phone lines. Before we do that, though, highlight of the day may be Daniel Jeremiah uh, talking draft. He's got the Seahawks going big with the the number 16 pick. Let's hear about it next on Brock and Salk. You're listening to Brock and Salk,
2: powered through the Alaska
0: Airlines Studio of Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. <laughs> oh, definitely a great, fun Friday today, heading into the weekend, and yes, getting ready. First spring training, can't wait uh, to touch down in uh, the Phoenix area tonight and spend the week watching baseball, talking baseball, living, breathing baseball and everything that comes with uh, being in that part of the country this time of the year. And I did start off the show at 6 o'clock today talking just about – Hope and spring and weather and warmth and optimism and everything that comes with the beginning of spring training. And I know it started last week or so, but for me, uh, heading down there uh, tonight, Justin's going also as well. Yeah. More, I believe, goes down tomorrow. Brock will meet us down there. And so uh, like Voltron, we will assemble Force in combined. Peoria and uh, <laughs> combine our powers and uh, be ready to go for spring uh, Are you for really doing training. Culver's tonight? Is that, is that the plan? Tonight, I'll try it on too. I'll try to wait. I shouldn't get Culvers right away. I'll try to I'll try to hold off, Justin if, if I can good we'll you. see We'll see if I can. So that's sort of in the background um, as uh, as we go through the day today, and we'll talk to Shannon coming up in thirty minutes. right now, let's go to Daniel Jeremiah, our friend, who's uh, kind enough to join us and chat a little football, talk a little draft. Daniel, how are we doing? How are
2: we? I'm doing great, man. Uh, I mean, the Padres only lost by 13 yesterday. I mean, technically, did, man, we were right in it. Did you watch that game? No, I had to do my media conference call, oh. so it's like my kind of like my craziest day of the year. So it's it's like a two hour conference call where I'm just fielding questions, and then I I knew that the game was. Fine. I'm like, you know what? Perfect. I'm going to finish this call. I have a little break before I got to do Total Access. I'm gonna flip on the game. I'll, be, I'll miss an inning. I'll probably miss an inning. No. Uh at the end of the first inning, it was eight to nothing. Yeah. I was like, yeah, they didn't even let me have one inning of Joy this Yeah. Year. That, not that, even a single inning.
0: It's not even really their fault. I mean, that Dodgers lineup is just so stacked. But that's a that's a story for what was the most common question you got on the call out of curiosity? What were people most interested in?
2: Um you know, everybody just kind of wants to know their team and who they're, you know, mm-hmm. what their team is going to pick. You get a lot of college questions for a lot of college people on there. Just tell me about the Michigan State kids or, mm-hmm. you know, what what have you. So there was no, I wouldn't say there was a repeatable thing. You, you uh, I love it because over the years it's changed where you used to do this call and nobody was familiar with any of these guys. Like this was time, the time of the year where they're like, okay, I guess the draft's coming up. Like who's in the draft now? it's become kind of a year round thing and people have their entrenched opinions. So it's like, tell me why I'm right about this player. (laughs) I want you to do the
0: opposite. Actually. I'd like you to tell me why I'm wrong about a player. Okay.
2: So I've been,
0: I've become a little fascinated with JJ McCarthy recently. And I want to give you full disclosure. As you probably know, I'm not, the college football aficionado that Brock is, I'll watch a few games here and there, but Saturday's sort of my day off during the during the football season. And so the only McCarthy games I really watched were the two playoff games this year. And I came away thinking, that guy's not an NFL quarterback. He just doesn't have the arm. He doesn't throw it on third and long. He's not going to be able to throw from the pocket. And then Joel Klatt was so mean to me and was like, you're an idiot. You should have watched the Ohio State game. You have no idea what you're talking about. And now I'm looking at all these numbers and that show that he did do quite a bit on third down. And he was great when he was out of the pocket, throwing the ball on the run, etc. Should I or should I not be obsessed with J.J. McCarthy?
2: Um, I would say don't be obsessed with him. I would say he's just he's not he's not an easy evaluation. Um, I kind of I used the phrase that he was an acquired taste for me because like you, I think some of my biases just from just from watching TV was like okay he's just kind of a member of the team here. He's not he's not driving anything with this team. I mean it's defense and the run game and hardball and the toughness and all that stuff. And then when you dig in and you start. Watch it, and you got to watch a lot more tape to see it, just because the volume's not there that these other guys have. Um, but you go back, you watch Ohio State games the last two years. You look at even just making plays on fourth down when you've got to have a play. He makes plays. He does, in my opinion, he has a live arm. He can, he can, he can let it rip. You'll see those instances the more you watch of it. So I, I kind of explain it this way. Um, he, you know, I have a car out front. I'm sure the car probably goes 100 and. 10, 120 miles per hour. I don't know what a car goes, but I don't really drive over 75. But just because I don't drive it over 75 doesn't mean it's not capable of, of doing that. So he just wasn't asked to do it is, is, is what I'm getting to. And I think if you're looking for what type of quarterback he can be, in frame athleticism and kind of decision-making, never getting bored with completions, it kind of reminded me of Alex Smith a little bit. <laughs>
0: It's interesting, as you were talking, I mean, a lot of those were descriptions we gave of Russell Wilson for so much of the time that he was here, right? Oh, he was just the defense and it was just the running game. And, you know, Russell, obviously, it kind of complemented all that really well and then showed off the arm on the on the deep ball. But Alex Smith's not a bad comp either. I mean, that guy was the number one overall pick and had some pretty good playoff you know, teams once he once the Harbaughs got to him and kind of, you know, transitioned him to being a better player.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a like a deeper discussion, a longer discussion, too, on uh, this is something that that Orlowski and I talk about all the time when we uh, we chat is, you know, I I think with any of these young players, I don't care how talented you are, like it's a mistake to bring a guy in and say, you know what, we're going to throw it 40 times a game. And we're going to ask you to quote unquote, play quarterback 40 snaps. Uh, whereas in other words, the, the guys that are successful, I mean, even you watch mahomes even at this, at this stage of his career, is the best player on the planet. Andy Reid, if he's going to say he's going to throw the ball, you know, 28 times, you know, 25 times, Andy Reid gives him 10 completions. Like there are 10 combinations of screens, you know, quick screens, a screen to the back, a shovel pass, to the tight end, a speed shovel, like, that you start with 10 completions. Hmm. Then he's going to ask him to make, you know, hey, run around five to seven times, just use your athleticism to make plays. And then I need you to play, quote-unquote, quarterback 12 to 13 snaps a game where you've got to sit back there, get from one to two to three, read the defense, see the late movement, and, you know, really, really play the position. Um, I I think that you've got to protect whoever this young quarterback is that you bring in.
0: That's a fascinating way of looking at it. And then, you know, add to that the running game, right? I know it was Brandon yeah. Staley's kind of been taken out of uh, favor because the last year or two didn't go so well in, in with the Chargers. But I remember him saying a few years ago that he'd like to run the ball to give the quarterback some plays off so that they didn't have to use their brain during those plays yeah. and just kind of allow them to, like, catch their breath again before they have to do what you just said.
2: Yeah, and that's why, like, you know, you, you break the huddle, and I know that I've got a tunnel screen called Like, it doesn't require a lot of brain power. It doesn't acquire, acquire a lot of, of mental energy. Um, it is even – there's ways to have passes that feel like you get the playoff. Whereas, like, I, you know, and I'm I'm not going to uh, – people, when I, when I use this example, will say you're trying to excuse a terrible evaluation. I'm not going to say uh, – obviously, I missed on Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, you know, I had him too high. He, he did not work out. But I felt like when I watched him play, I was like, they're asking this poor kid to play quarterback 35 snaps a game. Mm. Like, there's no he has no chance. Like, there's nothing there. No, there's no there are none of those mental breaks for him. So uh, that's kind of a an example of how probably not to do it.
0: You, You think McCarthy's around at number 16?
2: Um, I'm fascinated to see picks six and eight. I think that'll tell us everything because I do think at the end of the day, you know, I, I think we end up having quarterbacks go one, two, three. So then it's a matter of who the fourth quarterback is. I know a lot of people I talk to view him as that. And then you go, okay, well is, you know, for the giants being at least intrigued by quarterbacks as an option and the Falcons, you know, by all accounts, everything I've heard is, uh, you know, they, they really want a young guy, even though, Um, Kirk Cousins has been kind of a popular name to put there. Um, You just kind of hear stories. You talk to people who are connected to the interview process for the coaches that they interviewed and and kind of the conversations that were had. And one of the the pieces of feedback I got was that they would like to find their Matt Ryan, you know, somebody that can man the position for the next 10 plus years. So um, if a quarterback gets by them, then yeah, now I think you see uh, that that maybe becomes a possibility, but you still have landmines with, uh, with Minnesota, Denver. So, there's just a lot of quarterback teams uh, this year, and, and we'll see what the free agency market does to, to at least fill a couple of those chairs.
0: Well, yeah, and, and, uh, you know, and then you get to what the Seahawks actually do with the pick, right? So I know you, you switched your Seahawks pick from uh, the last draft to this one. You went from Faltano to Byron Murphy. Let's start sure. with that uh, you know, evaluation. Why, why the switch?
2: Uh, is boredom an acceptable
0: answer? Absolutely,
2: yes. Yeah, okay.
0: I would yep. go with clicks. You need clicks.
2: Yeah, clicks. Yeah, clicks. There you go, <laughs> clicks. Dude, I could put, I could, I could, I could literally just go to like the UTEP roster page and just put all UTEP players in a mock draft. It would still get clicks. <laughs> um, the uh, no, but Byron Murphy's, uh, you know, he's he's gonna. You'll see him at the combine. He's probably gonna run in the four eights at three hundred five pounds. I'm like a little bit shorter, but he is very dynamic. He's the best defensive tackle on tape in this in this draft so um a really really disruptive strong strong kid so um that's why i kind of looked on that side of the ball they've got some young pieces i like on that defense but just continuing to add uh up front i think would be a uh, would be a nice fit if
0: you were them if you're seattle and jj mccarthy is still there at 16 or maybe it's bo nicks would you be tempted or would you say, no, we absolutely, we're good with Gino for at least another year. It's time to just add on one of the two lines of scrimmage.
2: I would, you know, gosh, it's a great question. I would say with where I have them right now, that would be, uh, it would definitely be a conversation. It would be a discussion, but I always, you know, I would, I would look at it and say, am I confident this is a clear upgrade over what you've had in Gino over the last couple of years? And I would say at this point in time, I don't, I couldn't answer that, hmm. that with, um, you know, very confident. This is an upgrade over what we already have. And I think Gino's, you know, quote unquote window is still open or you still have some good football. You can get out of him. I think I would probably go to the line of scrimmage.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Look, it, this has led me to kind of try to figure out if I'm the Seahawks and I got a new coach and he wants to, you know, run a Harbaugh style, a Buffalo style. He wants to run it. He wants to be physical in the line of scrimmage. They're not looking to open it up and throw it 45 times a game, is at least our assumption of the way this thing is getting built. And I don't you probably haven't spent a lot of time on the Seahawks over the cap page looking through where their money has been spent, but it's three safeties in the top eight. Plus yeah, yikes. yeah, right. Plus uh, a tight end in Will Disley, who has not done as much in the last couple of years, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Geno Smith, and Dre Jones. And I look through that roster and say if I want to change the way the roster is constructed, and I only have that number sixteen pick, no second rounder, and then a couple of thirds, am I looking to trade DK Metcalf and and see if I can add a whole bunch more picks to try to change this thing?
2: It's interesting that you, you, you phrased it that way because I don't know if you've seen it, but if you if you go through uh, all my social stuff, we've had a cool project we've done. We haven't posted the NFC West yet, so when we do, it'll probably be good fodder for you. But the uh, um, I, I had talked a while ago, six or seven years ago, I was just kind of thinking about like a foundation of a team and what it takes, like the key foundational pieces. And so I, I came up with a quarterback Three, you need to have a great team for the foundation. You need a quarterback. You need three offensive playmakers. That could be a combination of a running back, tight end, receiver. Could be three receivers, but you need three playmakers. You need three above the line quality offensive linemen. Then you need two pass rushers. Could be inside, outside. You know, mix and match. And then you need three playmakers at the second, third level combined. So you kind of take all these teams and you take the guys who fit in there. And then we had, you know, the NFL uh, research did it. And they pulled they pulled all the contract information. So, in other words, like, who are the guys that are under control that, you know, are going to be a part of this nucleus for the foreseeable future at those spots? And it really it's interesting when you look at it, because it's not a mystery. Like the great teams have a lot of quality, you know, above the line players at those positions. And you can look at some other teams who've struggled, who have great players on their roster. But they haven't necessarily invested that money in the right spots, if that makes any sense.
0: It makes perfect sense. And and, and that's actually why I kind of got into this DK thing. And I appreciate you not laughing at me like most of the audience has over the course of the last 10 days well, or so. Be, yeah,
2: I mean, just Joel, Joel's a jerk. Okay? Well, yes, you know, Joel's just,
0: that's true. Yeah, yeah, which is why I always remind Brock that Joel's the number one Fox college football analyst. <laughs> Brock's number number two. I mean, nice guys finish last, as you know. Joel's kind of a jerk. Brock's very nice, so that's why things work out. But where is Petros fall in all this? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know Petros as well, so I uh, okay. I can't put him. I know I told you I'm a money guy. I know I know Matt yeah. very, but but Petros I don't there know as know. much about. So, would you what do you think DK's worth if you were to try to t- trade a DK Metcalf? You think you get a first round pick or more?
2: I think you probably get a first round pick, yeah. You know, it it might uh you know, might not be a top ten pick, but I think you could find a team that's uh that's somewhere down there. You want to uh let's let's pull up the list. I'm looking at the list right now and I'll say let's How say about Indy? the team that trade. Ooh. Uh why not? Yeah, I think that's uh I think that's I think that would be at least a conversation for sure. I, I for the fifteenth pick. Yeah. I think so. If I'm Indianapolis
0: um, and I, and I, and Shane Steichen, what he's done to open up the offense, and I got Richardson coming back next year, and you were already a pretty good team even without him last year, what do they look like if they had DK Metcalf?
2: Yeah, the other one I was going to say, uh, well, again, the, the the challenges you're looking at, do you want to trade him in conference? And I'm sure as heck you probably don't want to trade him in the division, but Arizona would be the team that I would – Arizona, if I'm Arizona, that's mm-hmm. the one I would uh, – that would be the guy that I would want. You probably can't do that. How about Pittsburgh at 20?
0: I mean, I I would be very tempted for both of those things, and and the reason being, I would like to see the Seahawks get their quarterback of the future, and I don't know who that's going to be, or if that's a possibility. I'd love to see them Mm -hmm. add both Faltano and Murphy. Like, I I think they need both of those things more than they need DK Metcalf, especially after they drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round last year.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's, and the the money component comes in, you know, so you, you look at it, I was just Pulling up the uh, the tag numbers, and so I always think it's interesting when you talk about okay, what what positions are valuable, where where would you want your money, and all that kind of stuff. But you know, the interesting thing is, wide receiver has become a high high paid position. Mm-hmm. So if you can find quality young players on first contracts, that is a huge value. The numbers twenty point seven million is the tag number. So you get it. You like you hit on uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like, look what he cost them. It's nothing. Like right. You, that's 15 million plus in savings you're getting there um so that's uh you know that's where you can take that extra money and and put it around try and help you at the last
0: scrimmage the other uh big position of need for them is linebacker we don't know what's going to happen with bobby or jordan brooks maybe you know mike mccarthy wants to go out and try to bring in uh mike mcdonald rather wants to try to bring in uh you know patrick queen we'll find out but is this a a good draft for sort of those third round linebacker types
2: Yeah, it's kind of what it is. There's not like a lot of high-end guys at that position this year. Um, So, I mean, it's pretty much the bulk of them. You're going to see like third, fourth round. Uh, I don't think it's a super, super deep list of them, but that's going to be where they go. You know, that's going to be the range of what you see the linebackers come off the board. We'll have a couple. You know, Edron Coopers is a really good player from A&M. He'll be gone. But outside of him, um, you know, maybe Junior Colson from from, uh, Michigan. You're going to see the the bulk of these linebackers. That's the third fourth round is what it's going to cost you to get a, a, a potential starting linebacker in this draft.
0: Is this a good draft to have a lot of high picks in, or is it an okay draft? Like, where is it in terms of like is it a, a strong? It's top heavy, but is it a strong year yeah. for that?
2: Um, I would say this is a year where if you get to the fourth through seventh, there's years where I'm like, holy crap, like this is unbelievable that these guys that Amon Ross, St. Brown is still there at the fourth round. Like that, that type of draft who's had those type of drafts um, uh, where it's just, man, it like last year, the tight ends, there's a zillion of them mm-hmm. um, this year. It's not like that. So this is the in-between year because of NIL, right? There's so many of these guys going back, we only had 50 something juniors uh, when we're used to having double that. So it, it it drops off, man. So this was the year where I was like, if you're picking four through seven and you can spend some of those picks for next year's picks once everything kind of evens back out, um, I think I'd be more inclined to do that. I think you're going to have to do most of your damage in the first three rounds mm-hmm. this year.
0: Yeah. So, and then last thing on that, just to, to bring it back to the quarterback conversation, if you're a team like Seattle that, yeah, maybe you are happy with Geno right now, but you're also kind of looking for that long-term answer if you don't opt to do it this year in the first two rounds, what's available and coming down the pike next year or the year after that is? Are those expected to be high quality quarterback classes?
2: It's not expected next year, based off the early evaluations. Now, I haven't done that; so that's from talking to teams. Um, but I, we say this every—I mean, there's every year there's two or three quarterbacks that come out of nowhere that end up, you know vaulting their way up into the first round. So I'm sure there will be guys that'll take leaps forward in college that maybe we aren't quite as high on right now, but the early look, uh, whereas in years past, you're like some years, like, okay, wow, this next year has got a chance to be really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's some excitement there. This, this next group hasn't, hasn't generated that much buzz, which I think, you know, could be a reason why we see some movement and we could see, you know, a record number of quarterbacks, you know, go in the top 10 here. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's that's part of the equation for sure.
0: all right well DJ I appreciate it. we'll let you go especially after you did two hours of answering dumb questions like this yesterday uh, but that's the gig and you love it and you're great at it and we appreciate it love the insight. we'll keep reading the mock drafts and I am very excited for uh, for the piece you mentioned in terms of the way teams are built so uh, we uh, we yeah we'll probably talk about that here coming up uh, next week.
2: appreciate it, man thank you can you can, can can you tell Brock one thing for me real yeah. quick he's on he's going to spring training right
0: oh yeah, we'll be there. we'll be there Monday
2: oh okay. Okay, I might need two innings out of each of you um, by the looks of it yesterday. So if you guys could just limber up a little bit, get some band work in, and get ready to go. Yeah,
0: I mean, Brock's got the lefty thing coming at you from an awkward angle. Um, I could probably give you a couple knuckleballs if you need them, and we'll get the Padres, uh, get them all sorted out. Sounds good. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. See you, buddy. All right, there you go. There's uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who's awesome and just does such a phenomenal job. And uh, unlike some of you out there, he did not laugh me off the phone with my DK Metcalf insanity at all. He was like, uh, "Well, kind of makes some sense." Thought that you could get a first round pick. Thought that both Indy and Pittsburgh might be interesting options for teams that might uh, have some uh, some thought to uh, to make a deal like that. And does believe that you got to have your roster right. So. And I mean, the
1: amount of. I mean, I don't know if it's an ego thing for people who think they know more than a lot of these NFL experts who offer these opinions. But the amount of people who are just like, stop, like you're the one who's going to make this happen. Right. <laughs> I'm bringing it up. Yeah. This is an exercise to see how I can make the team better. I'm not trying to run someone out of town. Well,
0: and what you should know is that if a GM is not looking at options like this, they shouldn't be your GM. hundred percent. That doesn't mean they're going to pull the trigger on it. But every GM thinks about all the time, how can I make my team better? Turnover. And generally, yep. you don't do that by only thinking inside the box. Fully agree. Generally, you don't do that by only thinking inside the box about the obvious things. You tend to have to think more broadly. What can I do to make this team better? And, and we're going to use DJ today, basically, as our Blue Eighty Eight because he kind of went through so many of the of the questions that that we are thinking of heading into this draft. Like, I I I am intrigued by JJ McCarthy. I am. I I I didn't mean to be. I really didn't. Yeah. I didn't like Brock told me about him last year and I was like, okay, I'll keep my eye on him. And then I forgot. And then I watched him in those two games and it was sort of comforting after Joel Klatt was so mean to me a couple of weeks ago. It was sort of comforting (laughs) to hear DJ say, no, when you watch just, you know, television copy, he doesn't really jump off the page. He looks like he's just part of the team but then when you when you watch the film which obviously I'm not watching the same way that's when he really starts to to look like a guy who could be a first round pick and win a lot of games he, here's why i think it's interesting i like his analogy of of uh this car and how fast it can go versus how fast that you're asking good. it to that go was, was i think that's really good i like his thoughts on how many times are you actually asking a quarterback like him to, quote unquote, play quarterback versus scheming for them? Some easy completions, running plays, plays off schedule. He's really good at all of that, right? He's going to he's going to add to the running game. He's going to be very accurate with the plays you've schemed open for him. And he's also going to you know really create with his legs. We've seen him do it. So those three parts of the game are already covered. Oh, by the way, when you asked Mike McDonald as we did, what is your what is your, you know, top priority in a quarterback? He said leadership. Well, JJ McCarthy is renowned for his ability to lead. So the only real question is what is he going to do for those plays in a game and as he said it might be 10 or 12 where he's asked to drop back, play quarterback and throw the ball. Okay. And if he can be good on seven or eight of those, if he's good enough, well, then you might have a quarterback who's really good at a huge portion of the game. And I don't know. I'm pretty, pretty intrigued by that. I'm pretty intrigued by that. I, I really am.
1: Agree. And I, I go back to what when I asked you, you know, what is the – or what does this leash for for Schneider look like now? He's hanging his hat on a lot of first-time coaches. Mm-hmm. Is he going to do it one more time with a – a
0: rookie quarterback like Well, this. you don't need to do it with a rookie quarterback. That's you the thing. The year, you if you know. still have Gino yeah. for the year. So if you're but just if it's bringing it's him in to... and then kind of going from there, I don't know. You could find me very intrigued, but you're going to need more draft capital in all likelihood to make it happen. Exactly. All right. well, let's switch gears. We will go from uh, preparing for the draft, which isn't until late April, to preparing for the baseball season, which starts in late March. Shannon Dreyer is in Peoria. She beat us down there. We're going to see her later today. We can't wait. We'll go there and chat with her, get an update next on Brock and Salk.